Hi, this is Julia Golding. Are you looking for a way to find a gentle beginning to your life as a fantasy writer? Or maybe you're just wanting to brush up your existing skills, but you don't have time to come to a class. Well, we've devised for you the perfect beginner's course. You can find it on our website. The course is full of exciting chapters for you to take at your own pace starting with packing your bag and setting out on an adventure. And over the course of the lessons, you'll learn to find a hero, gather allies and get under your belt all the basic skills you'll need to write yourself your fantasy story. So why not have a look at this today and see if it suits you? And I look forward to meeting you in our chat room, which comes along with the course. So what are you waiting for? Time to pack your bag and get writing. Hello and welcome to Mythmakers. Mythmakers is the podcast for fantasy fans and fantasy creatives brought to you by the Oxford Centre for Fantasy. My name is Julia Golding. Now today I want to share with you a very special evening we ran last year to recreate an Inklings event. We did this in the beautiful surroundings of Merton College, Oxford, where Tolkien was a professor at the end of his life. Of course, the Inklings actually more normally met at Magdalen College, which is just over the road from Merton. And it is there that we start this presentation because the person who holds the seat that Lewis held in his day Professor Simon Horobin, spoke to us in his room, which is a few doors down from where C.S. Lewis used to host the Inklings. I'm Simon Horobin, and I'm a fellow and tutor in English here at Magdalen College. And I believe you hold a particularly significant office. That's right. I'm lucky enough to have the job that C.S. Lewis himself had when he was here, and uh, not quite in the same rooms as him, but in the same building. So you've been working on a book about C.S. Lewis. So can you tell us how did Tolkien and C.S. Lewis first meet? So they first met in 1926 at a meeting of the English faculty. And they'd both actually recently uh, joined the English faculty. Lewis had been in Oxford before, but he'd just got his job here at Magdalen. And Tolkien had just arrived as the new Rawlinson and Bosworth Professor of Anglo-Saxon from Leeds University. And they met there at that at a meeting where um, they were discussing syllabus reform, a rather dry topic, uh, but actually it was quite heated uh, because there's been there was a lot of antagonism between the English literature side of the course and the English language people. And Tolkien and Lewis found themselves on opposite sides of that debate. Uh, but despite that, they got to know each other, got on very well, because they both shared this love of uh, the mythologies of uh, the Anglo-Saxons, Anglo-Saxons and uh, Norse mythology. Um, and so they, they quickly came to uh, become close friends, even though they were on opposite sides of that debate. And they went on to have regular meetings in a reading group, didn't they? Can you tell us something about the Colbiters? So one of the things that Tolkien set up shortly after he came to Oxford was this um, old Icelandic reading group, that, which was called the Colbiters. It was sort of modelled on a Viking club that he'd set up at Leeds. And what he was trying to do was to promote the understanding of an ability to read uh, Icelandic literature in the original Old Norse. 
And uh, he invited Lewis to join that group. And Lewis had already fallen in love with old Icelandic literature. Even as a child, as a 13-year-old, he discovered uh, the poetry of um, the Vikings, essentially. And, but he couldn't read it in the original. So this was a, a great opportunity for him. And Tolkien invited a number of distinguished philologists from around the university. So the professor of Celtic was a member of it, um, the professor of Byzantine Greek, the professor of comparative philology. So it was a pretty highbrow get-together. And they essentially were set chunks of um, sagas or poems to translate in advance. And then they turn up at the meeting and Tolkien would kind of help them through, essentially. And how did that Colbyter group become the Inklings? Well, it didn't directly in the sense that Lewis was going to lots of um, sort of reading groups, discussion groups. Pretty much every night he went to something. So he set up the Michaelmas Club here in Magdalen, which was a kind of philosophical debating society. He was going to the Socratic Club, a kind of um, religious debating group. And he had beer and Beowulf with his undergraduate students. And... Um, the Inklings itself started off as a group at University College, which is where Lewis had been an undergrad. And he and Tolkien were invited along as senior members, but it was essentially an undergraduate's um, reading group where they uh, read their own compositions to each other and commented on it. And it kind of fizzled out because it was being um, led by undergraduates who left the university. And then the Inklings itself started, um, borrowed the name from that group, um, and it was really centred around Lewis himself um, and Tolkien, who was a particularly close friend by that point, and, and their other friends and associates, not necessarily all members of the university, um, but connected with it and many with the same kinds of in interests. And it became a kind of group for sharing work in progress and commenting on it. So what do you think a meeting of the Inklings would have been like? Because we are actually sitting here in the new building where they met in very much a room very similar to where they met every week. That's right. Yeah. So they would have turned up, I think, about nine o'clock. And um, it began with Lewis essentially saying, who's got something to read? And then somebody would begin by just reading a section of something that they had been working on. Um, if it was Tolkien, it was likely uh, the next instalment of The Lord of the Rings or the New Hobbit book, as Lewis always referred to it. Um, in Lewis's case, he read them um, The Problem of Pain and his science fiction works, The Out of the Silent Planet, Perilandra, The Great Divorce. Um, and essentially they went round the room and, and read a bit and then made comments on each other's work. It would often lead into other kinds of discussion um, on sort of themes that had emerged, even though they were quite different. Many of the contributions, so Warney Lewis, um, Lewis's brother, was a member and wrote 17th century French history. Um, Lewis's family doctor, Humphrey Havard, was an inkling um, and would t give accounts of his latest mountaineering holiday. And you wonder how they managed to find common themes um, with this, but that's seemingly what happened. And this would go on quite often until quite late in the night. So um, you hold Lewis's position now at the college as Professor of English Language and Literature. What aspects of Lewis's interests in medieval literature and earlier literature did he share with Tolkien in particular? Well, 
But both Lewis and Tolkien were interested in medieval literature broadly conceived. So uh, Tolkien had the chair of Anglo-Saxon literature and was particularly um, engaged with the Anglo-Saxon epic poem Beowulf. Uh, it's a work that he was uh, involved in translating. His translation's only recently been published. Um, he gave a very important uh, lecture about Beowulf, uh, which kind of stimulated lots of new work on as a poem. And um, so that was a work and that Lewis himself would have been teaching regularly, he had his beer and Beowulf sessions with his undergraduate students. Um, and you can see that certainly influencing both of their fiction. I mean, it's the most obvious, I suppose, in The Hobbit, because it's the story of a, of a dragon sitting on a treasure hoard. Uh, somebody steals a cup from the treasure. He takes out his vengeance on the local town, burning it down. And then Beowulf has to come and, uh, and, and kill the dragon. And it's clear echoes there of uh, of the events at the end of The Hobbit. Um, and they both would have talked widely across the Middle Ages. So um, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, an Arthurian poem, which Tolkien himself edited. Uh, the edition that he edited is still one that we use today with students. Um, and there's a nice copy of it that survives it with Lewis's own copy of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight in the Bodleian Library, heavily annotated. Uh, you can see his reactions to some of Tolkien's editorial decisions, not always favourable. And um, so that, again, is a work that you can see cropping up in, in both of their fictions, particularly in the Narnian stories, I suppose, where Arthurian literature has an important part to play. And now over to Colin Duriez to tell us about his fascination with Tolkien. Well, it all started when I was um, in grammar school. We, we, in one of the classes, we were reading around um, C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity. I'd never heard of C.S. Lewis. And I, I was gripped by his style. I wanted to read all his books. And, um, and it was through him that I came across the name Tolkien. And uh, that interested me because I've got a French surname and I thought, oh, is, he's somebody with a Germanic um, surname. That's, that's interesting. And then, of course, The Hobbit appeared and I read that. And, and then I went off to Istanbul for two years, um, University of Istanbul. And it said that I read The um, Lord of the Rings, borrowed the books from the British Council Library. And... Um, and that's where it all started. And I started writing um, art articles, uh, an article on Tolkien, and which I called Leonardo Tolkien and Mr. Baggins. Mm -hmm. And I'd given it as a talk. And um, the, uh, I did as kind of an essay from, as part of my course at the university. And then I, um, it was sent, I met a, somebody who, um, who was from an American university. And um, he was just there for a year. Tried, um, a, a, tra a transfer of the two and um, he sent it off he said could I send it off to Clyde Kilby at um, in Wheaton College who was who had met Tolkien had spent a summer with him actually to help him when he was working on um, on his on his um, this, the Silmarillion and that and um, and Clyde Kilby asked if he could send it on to California because there was lots of interest in Tolkien there. You know, it was kind of hippie era. And the, it appeared in a, um, a fanzine, basically, about Tolkien, which was a very interesting one. And, um, and that was my first big um, article on, on Tolkien, and that's where it all started. And, and then since then, I've written quite a few books on Tolkien and his friend, C.S. Lewis, and... Um, and, and um, uh, I've also veered towards Harry Potter and um, 
others but i just like you know very much like fantasy writing and uh, um and that was something that uh, drew me in and um and one of the earliest books i wrote was on the friendship between tolkien and lewis which interest, interested me greatly and tolkien um uh, after the first world war um he uh, he came back to oxford and um he worked for a while on the uh, the the big english dictionary I think it was called the English Dictionary. That I can't remember the exact name that it had, but he was given work on the W section of it, and um, which I think he enjoyed very much and was very much akin to his uh, his knowledge of philology and uh, and and the history of words. It was very much his delight to do that. And after that, he he got a job as a professor at Leeds University, where he very much enjoyed teaching the students and uh, and. Um, um, and after a while, he then got a professorship in Anglo-Saxon here in Oxford uh, to Pembroke College. And um, it was a year after that that he met C.S. Lewis, who had not long uh, after Tolkien had started as a, a don at um, Magdalen College, teaching him English. And uh, he also taught some philosophy and uh, other subjects. But English was his, his uh um, was was his, his great love, especially going back to medieval literature, and um, he also was very knowledgeable through his study on classics, and uh, he was very wide-read. Wide, wide, wide um... Hi, this is Julia Golding. Are you looking for a way to find a gentle beginning to your life as a fantasy writer? Or maybe you're just wanting to brush up your existing skills, but you don't have time to come to a class. Well, we've devised for you the perfect beginner's course. You can find it on our website. The course is full of exciting chapters for you to take at your own pace, starting with packing your bag and setting out on an adventure. And over the course of the lessons, you'll learn to find a hero, gather allies and get under your belt all the basic skills you'll need to write yourself your fantasy story. So why not have a look at this today and see if it suits you? And I look forward to meeting you in our chat room, which comes along with the course. So what are you waiting for? Time to pack your bag and get writing. But they met at an English tea, as it was called, here in Merton College, um, to talk about, the, you know, teaching English at the university, presumably. And uh, so that's where Lewis started chatting with 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 uh, Tolkien and um afterwards he 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 quite liked him and he thought he just he was okay but he needed a kind of a slap or so and then he'd be all right <laughs> yes they had an interesting way of uh, interacting with each other didn't they <laughs> that's yes. right so yeah. how did the inklings come about what was the origin of that well it uh, it grew over a, a period it um it eventually started off from from um, um friends that knew each other some of them were um um friends that, uh, that lewis had made as an undergraduate and um there came a point when there was a group of students that started a group called the Inklings. One of them was um, the brother of um, a famous filmmaker, um, and but anyway, they um, they were um, 
and it was a very mixed group of people. It wasn't, they weren't all just um, Oxford dons or, or professors and so on. They were a mix and, and they weren't all teaching the same subject. They weren't all, say, teaching English literature, but various subjects. And one, for example, one of the early members of the group was um, C.S. Lewis's GP, which is Dr. Humphrey Havard. Well, the Humphrey was um, a nickname from one of the other Inklings, which happened a lot. They liked to play around with words all the time. That was part of it. They loved talking. And the, another idea behind it was um, a lot of them were, were writing, starting to write. I mean, Owen Barfrey, for example, had written a number of things, uh, very important books. And um, the... Uh, <coughs> Also, there was a lot of conversation about what people were writing. That they would give feedback to it, rather like a writers' club that we have in this country and other places, which are very helpful. I know when I when I was lived in Leicester, I went to a, an excellent writers' club and I learned a lot from it because. I was writing in a variety of kind of books and um, I would get feedback and I can understand why the Inklings was so attractive to 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 young scholars or, you know, uh, people that were um, entering into the academic world or into a teaching world or whatever and um, would, would gain a lot from it. So it wasn't until about 1933 that the, the Inklings were given that name. Well, actually, the name was never... F printed anywhere but that seems to be when the name started anyway um and um so it grew out of friendship and lewis was very um and, and it was very much around c.s lewis it, it, there's a rather amusing letter that um that charles williams during the wartime when he had to come to oxford you know as an evacuee in a sense working for oxford university press and he would write uh, quite a lot of letters to dorothy l sayers who was a friend of hers and um lewis said that she she knew knew nothing about the inklings but in one of the letters um uh, uh, the um, uh, Williams talked about uh, the the group being like a, a court, a court of the king, and the king, of course, was C.S. Lewis, and it was quite amusing to have the, have the Inklings described in that way. And there's lots of different ways that you can describe them, but the fact is that they were real human beings. They were interacting as friends, and they. Um, and there, there was one or two bumps, bumps in it. For example, um, Hugo Dyson, who was um, one of the important members of the group, um, he rather disliked the Lord of the Rings. And Tolkien was reading and re reading um, many, many chapters from the um, Lord of the Rings as, as being written. And, and Dyson didn't like it at all. And he, he had a veto to stop people just talking about elves and fairies and things like that. And um, um, it, it, was, uh, um, it was quite funny. But on one occasion, um, Dyson was late arriving, which was quite something that happened quite a lot. And they got down to listening to Tolkien reading another chapter in you know, a very important section where every, you know, everybody was following it. And, and Dyson burst into Lewis's rooms uh, um, and um, immediately the veto came into, well, the st they stopped li listening to, Tolkien had to stop. <laughs> and and then, they, then they got on with, uh, so they were a very, um, I mean, they were a very interesting group of people. And uh, um, there came a time when it, they stopped reading and they continued 
um, discussion groups in, in pubs. So um, it became more of a conversational group after that. Although there was lots of conversation at the time when the reading was done by various people as well, in, you know, centred around what had been read. And the um, conversational side of the group is just as important as the reading, in my, in my view anyway, um, having, um, having researched uh, as much as I could. Um, so what do you think the Inklings meant to Tolkien? Do you think he would have written his works without it? I think they were very important to him. I think to, to have a, a, um, a listenership to what he was writing because he knew he was going into ground that was um i mean he he knew that in the medieval period people would 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 have fantasy and uh, and supernatural beings and so on but it was a very different world that he was in and um and to have a group of people that listened to him and responded to it and uh, and at the time when his book came out uh, his friend um, cs lewis uh, wrote uh, wrote some blurb about it and, and Tolkien actually was a bit worried in case um, no I think Lewis was a bit worried because he thought that maybe some people who didn't like him it might have a bad effect on a to a Tolkien's book but um, yeah, the... so um, if there was one thing by Tolkien that everyone should read um, what do you think where would you start what, what age are you referring to <laughs> An adult. Adults. Uh, I think they should start reading The Hobbit. At, uh... <laughs> it's quite a good, it's always a bit contentious, is it? Do you start with Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit? Because The Hobbit being a children's book can put people off. Yeah, that's it. It's, it is. A, uh, that's the first book of Tolkien I read. As soon as I got hooked via Lewis, um, I, I saw The Hobbit in the WH Smiths and bought it. And I was, when I was travelling to um, Istanbul, I was reading it on the journey. And I just um, fell in love with it, and then I found that the, the the Lord it led to the Lord of the Rings, and that was the next step. So, in um, in terms of starting, it's a difficult question, but the fact is that um, the the films by Peter Jackson have encouraged many people to to read. I think the the sales of the Lord of the Rings have gone up and uh, quite a bit since those films came out. I mean, some people didn't like the films, you know. I remember when I was walking through a street in Leicester, I belonged to a small Tolkien group. My name is Owen Barfield, and I'm the grandson of the other Owen Barfield, who some people know as the first and last Inkling. So Owen Barfield was one of the four principal Inklings, and um, I'm the only grandchild and I was 28 years old when grandfather passed away, so I knew him well. So tell us a little bit about your grandfather and his... And next we have Owen Barfield, who shares the same name as his grandfather, Owen Barfield, who was the first of the Inklings. Lewis. So he was an undergraduate here. Um, but he was an independent scholar, I think would be the words uh, people use now. So his... Life was very much led in three parts. The first part as a poet-author, the middle part as a lawyer-family man, and then as the final part as the professor. But his professorship, although he was lined up to have a role in academia here at Oxford, he was blackballed, and instead he was a visiting professor in America, a series of American universities. And what was his academic interest well, his theme was the evolution of consciousness. So that was the big theme. And the way he particularly studied it is the history of 
language uh, and the use of language. In fact, his second published book was History in English Words. So how did uh, your grandfather get involved with the Inklings? Well, um, he would say um, that they got involved with him because he would consider himself the, the first Inkling, if you like. He was uh, 15 years old at school, in Highgate School, sat in a Latin class with his best friend Cecil Harwood, and they were translating a Latin verse, and there was a word that literally meant death, but Cecil translated it as walking out of life. And in that moment, Grandfather realised that by studying language, you can see the evidence for an evolution of consciousness. And from there, he, he built up his philosophy, um, Barfieldian philosophy. So what kind of contribution did he make to the Inklings? What did he, what did he read to them? Well, um, he made all sorts of uh, contributions. But first of all, uh, his interest was music and dance. And people don't associate the Inklings with music and dance, but that's where Grandfather uh, first got involved. And so here we need to bring in Maud, Grandmother. So she was organising a dance tour of Cornwall, folk dance tour of Cornwall. And she asked, grand, she asked for volunteers, Grandfather volunteered, and that's how they met. And if during two summers, um, they toured Cornwall with this folk music and dance show. But they also brought it to Oxford. And... So in that year, which they brought it to Oxford, which I think is 1922, November, um, that's when I would say the Inkling impulse entered Oxford. It started from there. And Maud, of course, was a great fan, well, friend of C.S. Lewis and a, a supporter of grandfather's work. So uh, as we have uh, the grandson here, can you tell us any of your own memories of your granddad? What was he like as a person? Well, I like being with him. So um, from about the age of 14 or so, I prefer to go by myself to visit him than with my parents. Maybe was, you, know, you want to put some distance to your parents, but they would go one weekend on a Sunday and then I'd wait and I'd go the alternative month, if you like. So every sort of couple of months I'd go and visit, usually on a Sunday um, for to have lunch and then tea with him. Um, we'd walk around you know, walk in the countryside, walk around the garden of the sort of residential home that he was living in later on. And conversations, drinking, uh, tea drinking uh, was always a part of the visit. And um, for me, he was really just grandfather. I was never aware of him being an inkling or his inkling interests or his philosophy. So I think grandfather compartmentalised his life, as many people do. And I was in the family compartment. So, um, for example, I was um, his executor with my father, but everything to do with his literary estate, he'd appointed four literary executors. So we weren't to get involved with that. It was only much later when I felt the literary executors were not no longer doing anything that I started to ask questions and take an interest in grandfather's work. So for me, grandfather was first and foremost, you know, a man I like to be with. Thank you. And last, we have Alicia Smith to introduce us to that strangest of the Inklings, Charles Williams. 
And my interest in the Inklings goes back to, well, to childhood. I read um, Lewis and Tolkien, like many people. Um, but I then, uh, when I was doing my English degree, um, my first degree here, um, I got the opportunity to write an extended essay on the Inklings, uh, which was a lot of fun. Um, and that's where I encountered um, not only more of Lewis and Tolkien's work than I'd, that I'd read as a child, but also uh, Charles Williams's work, um, his novels primarily and some of his poetry, uh, what I read at that time. Um, so that's my interest. Uh, I worked particularly on um, their attitudes to academia and to work and community, uh, which was really interesting preparation for doing graduate studies myself mm -hmm. in the university. So tell us about Charles Williams. Uh, who was he, first and foremost? Where did he come from? So um, he had a bit of a different background to uh, some of the other Inklings, although they are a very varied group, so that's maybe not much to say. Um, he was a publisher. He worked for Oxford University Press um, all his working life. He didn't have a university degree. Uh, that made him quite different to the rest of them. But he was a very intelligent person, um, self-taught in large part, a very kind of literate, um, full of quotations, very like Lewis. Um, and he, alongside his publishing work, um, lectured and uh, wrote various various kinds of literature um, and criticism. He was often published um, in, as, a review, as a reviewer um, and a critic. A critic. Um, Lewis and he sort of met because they wrote each other fan mail, essentially. Um, their, their letters congratulating each other on recent novels kind of almost crossed in the post. Um, and then when uh, the war broke out, uh, Williams moved up to Oxford with, uh, with OUP um, and became quite a, quite a core part of the Inklings at that time. Uh, so he met a lot of the rest of, of that group. So what was his uh, first entry to the Inklings? How was he connected? Primarily through uh, Lewis, his friendship with Lewis. Um, Lewis really liked him, um, possibly more than some of the other members of the group. Um, Lewis, Williams tended to be quite a... Uh, a divisive personality. He was very vivid. He People often liked him at first, you know, first meeting. Um, but he could be a challenging person as well, by all accounts. Um, but he, he was quite a vivid, quite a, he was quite a central part of, of the Inklings for the years that he was in Oxford um, until he sadly died quite young, um, not long after that. He's been called the most extraordinary <laughs> of the Inklings. Um, if there was one thing by him that you would suggest people read, what would you point them to? I think I'd recommend his novel uh, Descent into Hell, um, which is very strange. Um, be prepared for a strange novel, but it is, it's an astonishing meditation on what creativity and community uh, meant to Williams and, and could mean in a kind of theological way, as well as being a sort of thriller. One of the characters is dead um, through the, throughout the whole novel. Um, there are sort of doppelgangers and ghosts and all kinds of things going on. It's a really interesting kind of one of his supernatural thrillers, as so often called. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to Mythmakers Podcast. Brought to you by the Oxford Centre for Fantasy. Visit OxfordCentreForFantasy.org to join in the fun. Find out about our online courses, in-person stays in Oxford, plus visit our shop for great gifts. Tell a friend and subscribe wherever you find your favourite podcasts worldwide.
Hi, this is Julia Golding. Are you looking for a way to find a gentle beginning to your life as a fantasy writer? Or maybe you're just wanting to brush up your existing skills, but you don't have time to come to a class. Well, we've devised for you the perfect beginner's course. You can find it on our website. The course is full of exciting chapters for you to take at your own pace starting with packing your bag and setting out on an adventure. And over the course of the lessons, you'll learn to find a hero, gather allies and get under your belt all the basic skills you'll need to write yourself your fantasy story. So why not have a look at this today and see if it suits you? And I look forward to meeting you in our chat room, which comes along with the course. So what are you waiting for? Time to pack your bag and get writing.